0: so um, um love hearing that feedback that makes us feel makes us feel like we're doing something right
1: so i'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times but how did you two um start together
0: well we're from rocky yeah. um you know a country town in central queensland and basically jeremy's been explaining it like this as soon as everyone left you know to go to uni or you know when you turn 18 you just kind of get out of town and you move to the cities and uh at one point of um our lives um we were kind of the last ones left. So I was already, um, I'd already finished uni. I'd, I'd done my little time in Brisbane and I'd come home to save some money and go traveling with my guitar. And, and when I was there, the, just the timing was right to meet up, you know, hook up with Jeremy. I always knew he was an unbelievable guitarist and always thought he, you know, he'd be handy one day if I could ever get him to sit beside me and play some tunes. And uh, that's what happened. So the timing kind of just lined up and we started playing little at little pubs. And we recorded some tunes. We had no idea what we were doing, but um, the you know the local rocky kind of young crowd obviously needed a little bit of it. They, um, yeah, reacted to it, and it's just started snowballing. The crowds just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it all started from Rocky. And yeah, fast forward 15 years, now we're doing the same thing, but all around all around the world. it's, It's been a great life.
1: No, and, and one thing I've noticed from you know, doing the research about you guys is you're still just a bunch of um, hometown lads who who love Rocky.
0: Yeah, mate, we've got to be proud of where you come from. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, that we know, of, you know, don't like Rocky for one reason or the other, but mate, it, it us, finds us who, of who we are, and you know, we're both from big families, so we're never allowed to get ahead of ourselves too much, they pull us back down to earth if we ever do, and... You know that's um, you know the beauty of coming out of uh, you know a country or regional Australia. You're, you're sort of raised right, I
1: think. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What 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 is it like growing up in such a place like that? I mean, I've seen the images and the coastal line is just absolutely out of this world. Well,
0: it's amazing, but we took it for granted growing up. You know, you're always trying to you want to go to the cities and the big smoke and the and the parties and the nightlife, and you're always thinking of uh, the lights and. But um, it's not until you get a bit older, like now, just looking back and, you know, my, my kids don't don't live in Rocky, I don't live there now, so I don't, I'm raising my kids on the Gold Coast, and, um, which is semi-re- semi-regional, but uh, it's nothing like, you know, being raised by a huge family and our friends and uh, a huge network everywhere and wherever you go, whether it's the rugby league or the soccer or the... Or the beach trips, or the uh, you know the island adventures, or the holidays—you know, you're surrounded by people—and it's uh, there's a lot of networking going on. And I, I suppose, it would miss the community vibe of it definitely. But you know, that that's that was one of the special things I'd take out of it now, looking back, is the beauty
1: of it, but also the you know the connection that you have with the town, the community. Well, that was the other thing I was going to ask about growing up in a place like that. You- Um, I'm I'm guessing it wasn't everyone wanted to be a musician. Everyone wanted to play rugby league. Yeah,
0: everyone wanted to play rugby league, mate. Definitely. We all. I mean, if you're a bloke, um, you you were playing, you were playing footy. Uh, mostly, you know, because this is what you just did. You did that every afternoon, and but that's where all your friends. You just that's where you met your friends, um, and that that'd be a hangout. You know, kind of bashing each other on the footy field, and. Uh, doing that every afternoon, trying to keep out of trouble. And um, you know, Jeremy and I both played footy, and you know, we also played a little bit of guitar too. Not many people did that, and um, it turns out it worked out pretty good for us.
1: Now, the other thing I was going to ask before we get off about your wonderful part of the world is, um, there was a video that was on about your hometown, and there's this this beautiful old sort of, I'm guessing, hotel bar that was there. Is that still there where you had your first drink at 18?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is, mate. But it still looks like it does in that video. Oh. Which is, uh, it's kind of all shut up and all barred off, and that's opposite my old family home. My dad built that home, and we grew up there. And uh, he's a builder, and all the all these workers used to live out in that area out there. And every Friday, dad would shout at the bar, and all these workers would come in, and I'd I'd get sent over there from mum to bring him home for dinner, and I end up staying there and drinking, you know, pink lemonades, and then. And then I finally turned 18, had my first beer there, and yeah, a really cool old pub. Um, it, it's sad that there's nothing going on with it at the moment, because uh, it is glorious, but maybe one day, maybe one day it'll turn around.
1: Oh, hopefully, I mean, it would be awesome for that, for your town. Now, we, we fast-forward 15 years, the new album, The Great Divide. Let's talk about that for a second. I want to play you, obviously, this um, first song, which you obviously must love. This song, um, hopefully you can hear it, uh, perfectly okay. Over to you, this song I absolutely love, Over Drinking Over You. What's the story behind that?
0: <laughs> Look, it's a fun song,
1: and it's definitely like a festival favourite. You know, mm. when, we're, when we're writing it, um, you know, the
0: melody and the, the vibe was like, wow, you can tell people are just going to hook into this song. But the reality of it is it's actually a bit more serious. It's about, um, it's about when fun habits stop being fun. And all of a sudden, you know, you're having a few beers you're going out every night and then uh you're in a period of your life where you're not doing it for fun anymore you're right. only doing it to kind of ease the pain of you know whether you're struggling with mental health or whether your girl's left here or your boy's left here or you know so um, and we've got a lot of friends that are struggling in situations like that and we're guilty of it ourselves too you know probably abusing substances too much um uh, for
1: the convenience of numbing the pain, and you know, although it's a fun song to sing, this is kind of the true message behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I didn't get that. I didn't get that off. I, I just found it such a fun song. But it's really awesome that you have a different perspective to mine. The um, the album, which is quite interesting, because people call it a, a a blues and roots sort of album. I'm actually I'm going quite controversial here. I actually, it's to me, I was tapping to it to sound like a country album.
0: Yeah, it's got a bit of country flavour. I'm glad you said that. I mean, we, you know, some of our biggest heroes and country music stars, you know, Willie Nelson and Garth Brooks and uh, Bruce Springsteen Mm. and Credence and, you know, all these people with Tom Petty with country flavours. and um, We've we've put the pedal steel back in, which is the atmospheric sound, but it's, Mm. you know, still got elements of all sorts of music. We've got blues and roots, you've got pop you've got country and you've got a bit of rock and roll so um, you know it's it, it tinkers the line and you know hopefully it connects
1: no I absolutely think it will connect now this next song is probably my favourite which is why I think it's a country song is the Lucky Stars song what's the story behind that because it's such a beautiful sort of softer sort of song
0: yeah it's a special song um, it's, and it's definitely one of the highlights of our live set these days um, and it's all about – there's so much crap going on in the world and mm. everyone's negative and it feels as though, you know, with social media, you just can't be – you're just always on the back foot. Yeah. Some, someone's wrong. Someone said something, whether it's the far left or the far right or yeah. the middle. There there's, there's, there's just seems to be something unfortunate about the world or the world we live in. And with all it going on, we kind of thought, you know, this, we're pretty lucky. Mm. We're pretty lucky who we are, not just um, – not just because we're Australians, but just because we're alive, and uh, you know we, we we live in a great part of the world, obviously. And at the end of the day, no matter what's going on, we've got to take a breath and realise that we are the fortunate ones.
1: Well, that's the thing. I think that's what I, I with that song. I mean, we're from a, a regional township, and when you hear that song, it's very like a lot of country song, where it's you know based in the hometown. But this song could you could be in Brisbane or Melbourne, and you just stop, you go out of social media, and just think, wow, I live in such a great country.
0: Oh, absolutely, no matter where we are. And, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, if you can just kind of sit back for a minute and realise that, then I think, um, you know, it puts things into perspective.
1: But that obviously also might be, you know, be a great life set, obviously, when you're overseas and, you might, you know, you're missing your family.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we do we do miss, you know, miss them a lot. We still love touring and we still do absolutely love it. We're on the road now and just buzzing from being around all the crew. Uh, they're like our family to us, you know, but, mm. you know, with young kids now and and with the extensive travel we do, you do miss home, and so when you're writing these songs, you always, you know, if you're overseas in the green room or in your motel room, you, you do always think and reflect of back home, and, um, you know, that's, you know, part of the inspiration.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The last song off the, well, there's a few awesome songs. We've got Tom here from Moon Muru. This song, The Reef Song, Um, it's such a really powerful song with a really really great music video to it mate
0: definitely Um, probably the most special song we've written Mm. to be honest you know Jeremy's a Torres Strait Islander he's Mm. from Murray Island Uh, his family's dad's from Murray Island Burr Island and uh, we've you know, I've been hearing about Murray Island since knowing Jeremy for over 20 years basically and I, I, you know, I know so many Torres Strait Islanders, they're all great friends of mine but I've never been and I just heard about the stories and the culture and the dance and it's been, you know, it's heavily um, evident in our music, you know, you can hear the Jeremy's Islander harmonies, the yeah. way he plays guitar, but we, we actually haven't written any stories about it and I, I hear the story of his dad and his uncles and a lot of the men make this journey from Murray Island over to the mainland and then they kind of spread out all through, you know, the Queensland Rail or wherever they end up all over Australia. And what happens is they have families and they have kids and then they pass on their culture, um, you know, in song and dance to their children, which was Jeremy and his brothers in this uh, example. And basically, um, you know, then there's the challenge then for Jeremy to – know feel this massive connection to this place that he was born at but it's a bit confusing he's a black fellow growing up in a white man's world um so eventually he took me back he finally took me back to Torres Strait Islands to the Murray Island and we'd half written this song and we got all these uncles and his aunties and grandmothers and we brought out the uh you know the ancient and um um special drums mm. uh, sacred drums and Lumets and percussion and and then we got Brian to sing on it and and it's just uh basically you know we we talk about this journey of a T.I. man making his way over to mainland Australia but it's really about a son missing his father and him wanting to uh honor that by connecting to his culture and I think we've done that in this song so it's it's definitely one of the best live songs
1: well that was what I was going to talk about your 15 years there obviously would have been lots of ups and downs along the way What is, what is keeping you guys together through all the thick and thin?
0: Yeah it's a tricky one you know because um, when we first were starting every phone call we got was a good call it was holy hell you know the gig sold out or you've been asked to play at a festival or you've been invited to be part of a compilation album or you've got a number one album or you getting a, a nomination for an award but then you know as you kind of become more successful uh, all these little phone calls now become strangely business and uh, I found that uh, in the past the biggest downs I've had have been from not enjoying what we do for a living and, and, not t- and taking it for granted so m- pretty much more recently over the last couple of years I've because i was sweating on every phone call, and what? How come we're not we're not a part of that festival, or we're, what's the ticket sales? Or you know, instead of actually just sitting there going, "How good is life?" Mm. So you know, this is it's a weird, weird industry. There's no doubt about it. Being a professional musician and touring the world, um, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you do feel a bit of pressure from time to time because you've got to mm. support your family and yeah. you want to work as hard as you can, but. There's so many things out of your control. Well, like people have got to like your music. They've got to buy your album. They've got to turn up to your gig. You can't force them to do that. So, um, you know, when when you realise that, just let it go and just remember what it's all about. And that's just about smiling, having fun, and appreciating that. You know, I used to work nine to five. I don't have to do that anymore. I've got a job I love, and uh, every day is a Saturday.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean you could easily get trapped into what music industry almost is now, where you're forced to make an album which you don't enjoy. And I really did notice that The Great Divide, it sounded like, if you just listen to it without the music videos, it sounded like you were smiling throughout every single song. Oh,
0: no, definitely. And we talk about real serious issues. Mm. And, you know, we address mental health, and we talk about grief, and, uh, you know, there's um, reflection on dementia and, and actual real-life things that aren't necessarily happy topics, but... Uh, underlying message on the entire key message for the for the album is really a message of hope and you know you, you can't help but feel that when you're actually performing and recording it you know in the studio it was uh, yeah it was a, it was a really opt- optimistic um, experience
1: and you know i've listened i was listening back to the other sort of stuff the uh, the postcards from the Shell house which was in 2017 and and 2019 obviously you change, you want to experiment, but your postcard album sort of sounded a lot more. That's where it sound like more folksy bluesy. Whereas this one, as I said earlier, was it was a more country um, sound. Was that deliberate, or was it just something that you were going through this 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 time in your life where it, it was all different? Well, with
0: postcards, we um, yeah, we worked with a producer, and we, you know, it was an intentional thing to mm. to kind of you know just see what we could do with our folk songs that we'd write, written, but try to make them commercially and contemporary appealing and see, you know, if we could still play them live. And it, it worked the treat, you know, our fan base grew massively and everyone, you know, we didn't change our songs or the way we did anything. It's just a slight tweak in production. But um, with with The Great Divide, we just we feel like we're old enough now to not have to care at all about anyone else, about radio songs about singles about anything and so we wanted to record a you know an album that we loved what we loved inside out. we've loved every album we've recorded but we wanted to put pedal steel on it we wanted our drummers to play on it we wanted our friends and musos to be part of the album we wanted you know we wanted full choice of the songs that we put on the album and 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 we got total freedom to do that we chose the studio we chose, chose the time and we were prepared we had about 50 or 60 songs and made it down to 11 in the end, and yeah, it's real, it's a real It's a real record, real instruments, real musicians, real songs about real things.
1: Well, that was the thing I was going to say, I mean, over 15 years, the probably thing you guys have probably learned the most is just to block the outside noise, um, I'm guessing, is that, you know, with all that yeah. experience you've had, you know, you, as you said early on, that you, you get so focused on, you know, everyone else liking your music, but you, if you just sit back and just let everything flow... It's probably what you've learned over 15 years.
0: Oh, definitely. And look, it's, it's very hard to do because mm. you don't know what's happening. Yeah. All of a sudden, your first album and it's snowballing and people are coming to shows and you've got record companies and publishers and labels and all telling you kind of what you need to do now and how you, we've got to get on this Triple J radio and then to commercial and yeah. all this. It's sort of like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, I don't know. We yeah. don't know what that means. Your kids just all of a sudden write a music that, you know, they're not... You know we've always had creative freedom, but I, you do feel that sort of weird pressure. And um, I remember a story. Uh, I suppose it was a bit of a message that I, um, advice I got from Josh Pike. Hmm. We were doing a festival, and I was talking about the second album or third album, and and his response was the way he says it is: people like your first album, hmm. so trust yourselves and do it again because it definitely at the worst case scenario. You trust yourself. Those same people are going to like the second album, and then hopefully you pick up more. You know, and I, I took that on board because he's right. You know, uh, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because you can often think, well, people like this music, will they like it? But yeah, we've totally stopped that now. Trust
1: ourselves. Yeah, exactly because you know I've interviewed a few artists, and the one thing they always say is the the first album is easily the the easiest, and the second album they get so freaked out because a lot of I guess music industry, the second album almost has to be either either better or it's worse. There's no there's no halfway. Yeah.
0: And you know you've got you know twenty or thirty years twenty years of songs yeah. under your belt, and you, that's your whole first album. So you get twenty years to write your first album, and then you've got a year or two to write mm-hmm. your second. And it's like quick go, you know, and you don't even have that. You probably have a month, and it's a, it's a, it's strange. You don't know. You kind of still working at your sound. You don't know mm-hmm. if they want to change rep, You know. So it's a big decision, but I think we did it right. We we tracked our sec, um, second album live, the band. We took our time. We didn't overthink it. We didn't try to write hits or anything like that. We just, we just, we we used, you know, used it as a, just a just a story. And I know, look at talk, I think about people like Willie Nelson and Slim Dusty and uh, you know even Casey Chambers in Australia and Paul Kelly. Like they they create. They just don't wait. They just—they don't try to set up an album for two, three, four years and make it the biggest thing. They just create then and there because they're artists. So, you know, Willie Nelson was recording four albums a year, mm. same
1: as Slim Dusty, just writing and recording and releasing and touring and playing and working mm. as opposed to trying to make every single theme perfect. Yeah. And, um, you know, because you're going to change.
0: If you're sitting on it for four years, your taste is going to change. And,
1: you know, well, life's going to change, isn't it? I mean, you might have kids, you might have breakups, so it's it's so diverse in that four years. Everything's that, changed. Yeah,
0: totally. And so I think you just,
1: just release it as mm. a part of life, There's a part of time right there. There's an album.
0: So, you know, I was actually on the plane this morning going through all my old voice memos and songs that I've been writing, I was just thinking, I want to get back in, and let's just knock, knock some more out. So, yeah, I'd love to have a bit of work ethic like that, but the touring gets in the road, <laughs>
1: Well, you know, you've 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 highlighted some amazing artists who have been in the industry, you know, thir- you know, twenty, thirty, I think, this case is nearly forty plus years. Is that something that the pair of you guys want to do? Is you want to be there for the full long haul and and for you know, I, I don't want to say generations, but just be that iconic and be out there for that long. Yeah, that's the plan. The plan is long term career artist. You
0: know, um, yeah, one of our first and earliest mentors was Tony Harlow from Warner Music and. He came over and he signed us initially and he was trying to drum into us. You know, we were like, second album, we want to write this and want a big song. And he's like, I don't want you to have anything big, do anything. Just want you to be yourselves. If it works, it works. So you guys aren't going to – he's, he's, he's worth to us at the time where your breakout album is going to be album number five. Hmm. So I'm like, what? We can't wait that long. He went, because you're going to be career artists said, you're not going to be in and out, you're going to to be around, everyone's going to be knowing your names for the end of time, just take your time and don't panic, and and I remember hearing that at the time, thinking, holy hell, I don't have time, I don't have time, do we have time, do we wait that long, but he was spot on, you know, we want to be around long times, we want to be playing everyone when we're in our 70s, we want to be uh, you know, telling stories and doing what we do forever just so feels good. And it's, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully that happens.
1: Well, hopefully it will. And speaking of, you know, Warners, how have they impacted your career?
0: Oh, I mean, they've been, uh, you know, fuck like family to us since the start. You know, this is our fourth album, our third with them, our first one we did on our own. And after that, they signed us. And so, they, you know, as I said, a couple of blokes from Rocky, young kids really, they had no idea. About the music industry, they took us under their wing. They let us be exactly who we were. It's just a couple of blokes from Rocky, uh, you know. There was no never outside pressure about writing hits or trying to look like a boy band or nothing like that. They just wanted us to be exactly who we were, and they were, you know, they able to, you know, help us along the way quite a lot. So yeah, they've been yeah pretty amazing.
1: No, that obviously would be, and as far as touring, obviously you, you've spoken at length, you must love touring then, for doing it that many years. What has been your craziest touring experience?
0: <laughs> well, we've had some pretty mental touring experiences early on. I was just telling a story the other day, but early on, I know, we didn't sleep. I don't know how my voice got through the gigs, to be honest. Um, we... We were doing promo on the road at the same time. We were playing gigs in towns we'd never been to. It was our first time in pretty much every city, Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth. All these venues, we would rock up and just have people there. Like, what is going on? This is unbelievable. So then you celebrate, you have a few beers, and then you've got to catch a plane on the red eye to Melbourne from Adelaide. So you go straight from you know having a few beers to the airport, landing, doing promo, that's shattered and then all of a sudden this vicious crazy cycle kicks in and you basically your first five years on the road is done in a blink of an eye and you've just been gigging touring working and partying for five years you can't even i can't even yeah it's such such an extreme strange life that just happens and yeah it's nowadays we look after ourselves and um you know, it's a bit more professional, there's no doubt about it, but, you know, we know when to let loose and uh, and have a, have a celebration when we, when we deserve it, but, um, you know, there's so many stories there's of all the cool backstage stuff that's happens. or, you know, um, I remember the first time, I wasn't sure whether, you know, Buzz Marie was a big name, and Scotty Owen from the Living End, and Pete Murray came to my gig at... Byron Bay, they're like, hey, what are you doing? You want to come have a beer before the gig? And I just remember thinking, what the hell is going on? You know, little things like that that I'll never forget. You know, we're all making stuff now. But it's, uh, you know, those kind of little little journeys along the way, little things that kind of make the, make the lifestyle really, really rewarding.
1: No, I, I mean, early on hearing those names, I mean, you'd almost fan out at the idea of them just having a beer with you, let alone, I mean, what you guys have turned into now. It's it's quite incredible because um, you know I've heard stories of you know Fleetwood Mac. I think they're the most iconic story they toured for nearly ten years straight, and it was studio touring, and they never they never were home. They were never even in their own house, and it's just it's quite incredible. I don't think a lot of people outside the music industry understand how daunting and how hard it is to tour for that many years straight up.
0: Oh, full on, mate. It is, and um, you know. It gets harder, too, with families. Mm. Uh, it's a bit different. Particularly in Australia, it's really hard because it's everything's so far away. It's so expensive to get to. Um, you know, at least in America, if you're making a bit of a there, you know, you can go from town to town. It's only an hour or two or three. You get in the bus and you live in the bus. But Australia, you kind of like treat it like a FIFA job. You know, you're mm. flying in and out. You do the weekends on the road and you come home midweek and, you know, you're where well, your lifestyle on the road is, uh, you know, getting up at ten or eleven and then going to bed at three or four in the morning. Then the next day you're back at uh, being a dad and you're getting up at six in the morning and going to bed at seven at night. And you're trying to shake your your body clock is all over the place. It's yeah, it's not it's not it's not as rock and roll as it all sounds back home. <laughs>
1: No, it's, it's definitely not. I mean, the, the thing I think a lot of people don't understand is how much preparation it goes. I mean, you got you have to be mentally and physically fit to do for, to do a long tour. I mean, you know, you guys yeah. do huge things. And, I mean, you you look at the, think of the likes of ACDC, um, Taylor Swift who are on tour for, you know, nine months of the year, basically. It's like, that would be mentally soul-destroying sometimes. Ah, uh,
0: it'd be exhausting, and you yeah. have to be, yeah, you're right, you've got to be mentally right for it. And um, we used to go on the road, and, you put on weight after 3 months tour hmm. and you feel pretty, you know, from lack of sleep and kind of service station food stops and all that rot and drinking every night. Uh, this tour actually, as I said, we're, it's all that work-life balance, but we're being very healthy and as um, uh, healthier than we've ever been. And you're feeling good, you know, you're waking up fresh, but you still can't escape the, uh, you still can't escape the, you know, the lack of sleep and. And um, you know, the, the red eye flights, all that, but you just get used to it and you harden up and it's you know, it could be a lot worse things to be doing.
1: No, I think every I think percent of people would, would be in, would love to be in your shoes.
0: Exactly. And that's one thing. You gotta keep reminding yourselves when you're ever feeling too tired or, or having a sook about something, you gotta remember that. And we do. Mm.
1: Now of course the uh, the new tour is out now, and you're coming to our neck of the woods on Saturday the second of November, playing in Margaret River. Yeah, we are um, pretty stoked. There'll be a second show, I think,
0: at Margaret River, and uh, yeah, first one at this venue mm. at the river. So we're absolutely stoked. We've got Bobby Alu on the road with us, mm. who is a bit of a fan favourite at the Margaret River. We're here, and um, like the shows just been unbelievable. It's just. Uh, just, yeah, putting a smile on my face just thinking about it. So, we're pretty excited. Um, and we've got a night off the next day, too. So, we might even have a few beers
1: up there. Oh, that's even better. Oh, you've got, <laughs> oh, you got a few days off, actually. Oh, you're back we gonna... Yeah,
0: we've got a late flight.
1: So late flight, we'll a awesome. Late check out and oh. We'll be hanging out there, right? Yeah, everyone should go down to the river and have, you know, maybe, yeah, have a beer with the lads. I mean, you seem like a bunch of lads so that'd be easy to have a beer with. <laughs> yeah, mate, we've got a good crew. <laughs> The crew at the moment is a great. so if anyone's
0: up for a beer at the Margaret River, well, tomorrow night's the night, 2nd of November. Let's do it.
1: Awesome stuff. Hey, I just want to thank you for, for taking the time to, this morning, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: No worries, mate. Uh, I appreciate it, and thanks for the feedback on the record, and, yeah, can't wait to blast out the new tunes. Awesome.